Welcome to the Newscape Higher Ed Podcast, featuring your hosts, Don Betts and Mark Stansberry. In this episode, Don and Mark discuss resilience when facing resistance. This podcast is brought to you by Newscape Higher Ed Advisors, helping university leaders effectively serve their faculty, staff, students, and community. Visit newscape.us to find out more. All right, advisors, I'm Mark Stansbury. Yes, and I'm Don Betts. Don, we've covered quite a few subjects, uh, topics over the last uh, several episodes. And today we're, we're going to be talking about resilience when facing resistance. And uh, I think, Don, on this particular subject and, uh, and topic, um, it goes back this past week, we've seen a, a Congressman John Lewis, who passed away, who I think really uh, fits the topic in a big way. Uh, you know, here's resilience that he had in his lifetime as a uh, active participant, uh, not only in Congress, but also civil rights for this country and all the conflicts he went through. Uh, as an individual facing uh, around 40 times in a jail cell and all the things he had to go through. And, and he talked about resistance. Uh, we both had the opportunity, Don, as, as we visited recently, we both had the opportunity of meeting John Lewis at different moments of time of our lives. My mind was uh, in, in Atlanta about 10 years ago. I was chair of the People to People International Organization, the Worldwide Operations Board of Governors. We had our meeting in Atlanta with Atlanta Chapter uh, and also had a, a speaking engagement there at the Atlanta Chapter. But after our, our meet, board meeting and our, our get-together reception and, and uh, speaking engagement at the Atlanta Chapter, we all got together and went to a, a birthday party and represent, a birthday celebration, I should say, and, uh, in honor of Martin Luther King. And it was quite an honor to be part of that delegation around a thousand at the party, the dinner, and in the crowd was John Lewis. And I got to visit with John Lewis and such a kind man. The program was wonderful. Uh, it was very well received by everyone. But the most touching part was uh, at the end of the dinner um, and, and the celebration, we all stood, stood together, all, we all held hands, and we all sang, we shall overcome. And so when I think of resilience, I think it's a part of definition would be how to overcome, how to overcome uh, the resistance and to have great results. And so I ask you, Don, how can we're facing this in higher education now in a big way? Uh, it's not a matter of having issues on a uh, weekly basis or quarterly basis. It's almost daily, sometimes more than one event daily. Uh, facing our higher education. So, Don, how, as a president, and you've had so so many years of experience, but great experience, um, can you tell the listeners, how do you go about uh, facing uh, this issue of uh, being resilient, and especially this time? Well, Mark, you've, you've started us off on a really high note by evoking memories of John Lewis. And as you were speaking, I was recalling our conversation a few days ago about this very subject. 
and about John, uh, Representative Lewis, and you're meeting him in Atlanta, and I had the chance to to meet him in eastern Oklahoma in Tahlequah, the capital of the of the Cherokee Nation, where he was visiting on Cherokee National Holiday as a special guest, and we hosted him at the university one morning along with Chief Chad Smith and a few others. It was a very small group around a, around a round, literally a round, a round table. And I think back on it now, it's, I wish I would have um, remembered every moment, every syllable that was uttered. What I came away with was how humble he was and how determined he was and how appropriately gracious he was to those around him. He made you feel like in some ways you were the most important person in the room when he has been uh, not just a witness to history, but actually a maker of history. So I thought about him a great deal since our conversation about resilience, because here was a man who was literally five feet, six inches tall, who was an American giant. And what made him so, what made him so tall? And part of it is exactly what you raised before, and that is he refused to give up. And I mean, there were so many times when so many of us, for very good reasons, would have stepped aside and said, that's enough, I've had enough, I'm going on with the rest of my life. And from his perspective, this was his life and it was his calling and his duty. And he ended up not only helping to change the course uh, of American civil history, but inspiring countless people across the country and around the world with that very attribute, that very characteristic that you described when began, and that is his sense of resilience. I mean, I wondered, I thought about this when he was 23 years old and getting up off the ground at the Edmund Pettus Bridge. I wonder if he said to himself, do I really want to stand up right now because I know I'm going to get hit again and again and again, or should I just stay down and try to preserve myself for another day? And we both know what happened. Um, he stood up and he got hit again and ended up suffering the, the uh, physical injuries he did. But in the process, um, I think was and has been an incredible inspiration that you simply don't give up. And so there's a there's a dimension of resilience when we talk about a John Lewis or uh, members of our own family and certainly higher education leadership where resilience plays a factor. And in normal times, if we ever will know those again, uh, resilience would be called upon to deal with issues that often were challenging or demanding, but not necessarily threatening. So you would deal with a variety of issues, some of them personnel, procedural, government, et cetera. And you know they were challenging and you work your way through them in ways you and I both know that have worked in the past. But when there are when they when they have the dimension of We've never seen this before. When they have the, we have the overall perspective of, we don't have a frame of reference on how to approach this. How do we proceed? And our colleagues in Oklahoma and around the country have given us so many models to emulate of how they've stepped up and in in order to take care of their primary responsibility, which is education and safety of their students, their staff, and their faculty, and their role in the community. And you know, we have lots of heroes out there, um, public and private education, that have done remarkable things. But, but that, that um, 
characteristic of resilience, I think is one of those that David Brooks would say, harbors deep within us. It's, it's, it's there and perhaps not often called upon because you're not challenged in that way very often. So resilience can be almost like a soft resilience bouncing back from something that was that was challenging, but we can make our way through it. Or something that could be up to including life-threatening. And then you have a very different review. So I was looking at the Chronicle of Higher Education today and Educause and some other publications. And there is there is not an article that doesn't relate in some way to the to the pandemic and the abnormal circumstances we're facing now related to that pandemic. And all of that, all of those articles are leading us back to we haven't seen this before. These are ways we might be able to approach it. How do we make this happen? And how do we find ways of sharing those successful perceptions so we can successfully navigate what is an historic passage? So you're suggesting early on in our conversation before this session that resilience would be an appropriate topic for us. It couldn't have been more appropriate because we are living at a time when resilience is one of the primary keys to survival and to thriving. Don, uh, what you said about giving up, and then you mentioned stepping up. It's one thing that we don't give up, but also by stepping up is so essential to meet the challenges head on. And there are either leaders uh, that uh, at first may be reluctant, but uh, I found that many leaders are stepping up to the cause. And it's really great to see uh, leaders on the campus, whether it's the presidents or the board members. Uh, I see that the challenges are definitely being met in a great way. And there's some that are not stepping up, maybe out there that need to be, or to let them step aside also. There's some that, uh, and I say that in a, in a kind way, is that if there are leaders out there that don't feel comfortable at this time in the sense of stepping up, uh, it's definitely the time to step aside and make sure there are those there that can feel the team effort because it's going to take a team effort. It takes more hours, more commitment to have resilience is to overcome is it's not, can we overcome? We is as a song it's, we shall overcome. And with that kind of attitude, the sky's the limit. I, 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 I use the, <laughs> the quote, quote that my, my kids would hear from me, I'd say uh, attitude sets altitude. Um, and <laughs> they, uh, they, when I get ready to say that kind of avoid, they know where I'm getting ready to say when I say attitude, but it says set, set altitude. And that's the attitude that I, I go back to Congressman Lewis. He had that great attitude is not giving up. Not, and, you know, and at the same time stepping up, but also he wanted team players around him that would be there loyal supportive. Does, does that mean that we're all going to agree at all times? I don't believe so. I mean, I've read histories on civil rights and the way they, that it was approached by a team. The team would, at the end, you would say they're all together. But to go through the process of resilience, you're going to have to have some conflict there in order to see what's the best way to get to the top. And so that's part of the process, too, is having a team they can discuss because uh, it kind of goes back to a great book written, a team of rivals. You know, sometimes you're going to have some conflicts. Uh, you're going to have people that go uh, in this, and it looks like resistance when in, in fact it's becoming resilient 
to the fact there's different ways to approach things. What's the best way to approach? And that's so essential. Uh, no, I, 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 I couldn't agree with you. Well, I keep thinking of you were speaking about, about bench strength and about the um, necessity of activating the full complement of talents around you at almost warp speed. Because if you think back um, just a few months ago, it was business as usual on those campuses. And literally within a very few days and maybe a couple of weeks, there were some extraordinary transitions that were occurring virtually across the full spectrum of education, higher and, and, uh, and common education, which moved many faculty and staff into um, having to respond in ways that they hadn't before. So there was a great reliance on the technical staff that I think performed brilliantly, at least all the examples that I have seen. But out of this, from the emergency part of the response, we've got to go ahead and get this stuff, get these courses online so people aren't put at risk. Um, there were new talents that were being developed and new opportunities to enrich the um, the mix of educational tools and instruments that we might not have had before had we not been challenged. And we're, we're certainly nowhere through this. Uh, many of our colleagues write daily about the new normal. What is the, no one knows what the new normal is. We're creating the new normal at this point, and we'll know what it looks like when we're through this passage. But that passage is not finished, and I'm not sure we're halfway through. The issue is, have, do we have the, the, the bench strength and the attitude uh, and the connection, the level of collaboration and the leadership that recognizes the importance of galvanizing and gathering all, all the human assets together and going forward with a common set of values for a common goal. If you have those things, you have a better chance, not only of, quote, getting through it, but actually on the other side, coming through with um, perhaps a new way of looking at, at what you do and what the institution is supposed to accomplish. And perhaps there were, I don't know, limitations that you might have put on what was possible in the past because of the milieu in which you were living and working, but now forced to respond to a brand new set of circumstances, some of them incredibly threatening, you find out that you had competencies and strengths and talents that you didn't recognize, but that you now can employ to create the next iteration of great teaching and learning, what we always call, as you know, transformative learning. And I think that is one of the, one of the, uh, how can I put the silver linings in this, in this gray circumstance we're in, is that we, we are learning more about us and we're learning more about what effective leadership is now and what it isn't than we ever have before. I think one of the great challenges we in the globe face is, is leadership at all phases, political, social, economic, cultural, et cetera. And those that come through this, uh, um, championing the right values and virtues and helping us to embrace and to personify resilience, they are the ones who will be the leaders we'll be turning to for the future to make sure we can accomplish the goals we set out, common values, common mission, common virtues. You talk about embracing and I'll add engaging to that, that uh, as far as embracing, uh, I think of the subject I'd been talking about for quite some time uh, and over the last two years, giving talks on the digital transformation 
in in uh, the energy business, but also in higher education. And, and to think that uh, that's been moved forward so fast uh, in such a fast way that is over the last few months uh, that it's it's here, it's arrived. And so the embracing resistance has been to transforming to the digital world in a lot of ways. That's here now. And we see that as we are speaking remotely and using Zoom, it all seems like every few hours a day, uh, which a few months ago, uh, I was instructed what Zoom was. <laughs> and so here we, here we are, yeah, how things have changed so quickly uh, and very productively, by the way, because it's, it's, it's engaging uh, the digital world. And I think it's going to help us in so many different ways. I like what you said, though. We're going to have to look what were the great things we have done in the past that we need to maintain and keep uh, working on. But there's so many great things ahead of us, you know, with uh, artificial, artificial intelligence, uh, robotics, uh, you know, 5G, all these different things are coming to the forefront that a few years ago we were just thinking it might happen. It's here. And uh, in the in higher education is going to be at the forefront of all of this. Uh, and so I know as a president, you've seen the uh, transformative years and we're still seeing this happen as far as transformation to a whole new world in higher education. This is an exceptional moment, uh, Mark, I think for empowerment. And again, it's one of those words that um, have has been overused and probably drained of its original intensity and, and clarity of meaning. But I think about empowerment when I, when I think about um, a president or a leader at whatever level of the institution who by her or his actions and by the attitude they evince and by the, the common values that they champion literally draw people out of themselves into, into the, into the, into the fray. So oftentimes when you do that on a campus, you do it on a five-year plan or you have a number of goals you lay out that you proceed to uh, clearly and methodically and appropriately. But you don't usually wake up one morning and find that the world changed under your feet that night. That's, that requires a different level of response and a different time frame. You don't have the luxury of long-term deliberation and reflection, which is a great strength of higher education and will continue to be. You had to make decisions and you had to have those enablers and those actors around you who can move forward uh, understanding that we're blazing a new path here and we're going to find that one path leads in a direction that makes sense and another one we're going to come up against a huge impediment that will not allow us to proceed. You don't sit down and say, I don't want to play anymore. You find ways of addressing, addressing the issue. So in my mind, watching my colleagues again across the country over these last several months, the deeper the level of empowerment goes, and some of it came almost immediately because we had to put those courses online, but now we're in a different place. The deeper it goes, um, the more opportunity I would, I would have or a president, whatever, would have to really seriously understand the reservoir of talent that you have. I would believe that by right now, my colleagues in the presidencies have a very strong sense of who they have on board, who they can turn to in times of dramatic challenge, which will likely come again. And as they navigate this challenge, those that, um, as we say, get up in the morning and go to bed at night and understand why they're there and have a shared set of goals and objectives. 
And that to me, as as the leader, as the as the president, would be would be and is very reinforcing. It it permits you to challenge the status quo, even though it's challenging, and to realize or believe that you could proceed and be successful because of who you have around you and because of how you share these common goals. So it's almost as if each one of us provides the other or offers the other a zone of resilience. And that shared resilience through collaboration creates a, a group resilience, a posse resilience that we wouldn't have otherwise. We just set out on our own. Um, I, there's something to be said again and again about the efficacy of, of building teams, which can be very large, that really have these common sets of goals and are imbued with um, an understanding and a belief about what we're about that transcends their title, that transcends their compensation, that transcends their personal career goals. They were called, they were needed at this time. And as you said earlier, they stepped up and they stepped in. This is definitely a time of reflection. It's a time of decision-making, but it is still a time of planning. And in order to have this resilience, we do have to plan. And with that, we know that the plans, as you mentioned, are not going to be where we make a plan, strategic plan that's going to be uh, in print for the next three to five years. Uh, we're going to be looking at it much more carefully on a, on a timely basis. Uh, probably every board meeting, every time we get together, looking at how can we tweak this plan to be better and better and better. Because the ultimate goal is to make sure that student the student now can make make it into the workplace. Uh, we have so many great students, and to have the dream ahead of them and make sure they know that the dream is still there to to have and to to hold that diploma in their hands. To think that we can be a big part of that, whether we're on the board or as a president, as a team builder, a community leader, how can we help that student? And that's uh, looking at all the options and the plans that we can possibly come up with to make sure that the student achieves and that the faculty has the tools in order for the student to achieve. Uh, we definitely have some opportunities ahead of us, Don, and great challenges, but resilience is what we've seen uh, in America and in higher education. It will prevail. And, uh, and the university and the good people at the universities are in a position to dramatically influence students' perceptions of this world that they've inherited and of their options for the future. And it's a, a, a moment when they can model certain values and the resilience that we've been focusing on is one of those. So watching an institution, watching individuals at an institution, um, watching individuals who may have fancy titles and those that don't come together to address issues which affect everyone. No one gets a pass on this. I think is incredibly instructive in a university environment. And I know there's, and we read it daily, there's lots of dissension on campuses and concerns and whether they should open or not, whether it should be hybrid or not, et cetera. And all of that is re relevant and valid, but it's the messaging we send by the way we address these issues, by the scope and by the, by the, the inclusivity of the conversation not to extend or lengthen our ability to make a decision, but to inform them ourselves so we can make, make good decisions, relevant decisions, and then 
have the resilience and the courage to make mid-course corrections when they're needed. And there would there will be because circumstances will shift and change. And all that has to happen in an environment that is not secretive. It must, it, to build resilience in others, they have to believe in you. And to believe in you, they have to understand what you're doing and why. So you have to be able to consistently and effectively communicate those messages. And you communicate them by what you say, but we both know communicate it primarily by what you do and how you do it and how you create a caring environment in the midst of all these challenges. I was thinking the other day, Mark, about all the leadership programs we've been through, et cetera, and all the scenarios that we've run as, as chair of the board that you've been and president that I've been. And I keep coming back to that classic statement, you know, this is not a drill. This is not a dress rehearsal. What we're in now is what we've been training and learning for, for for years and years and years. We didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't expect, you know, some a version of a 14th century malady to come, you know, place itself upon the world at this time. But the fact is that what we've been doing is preparing people through leadership development for that those moments that we couldn't anticipate. I mean, it's pretty easy. It's easier to lead in times of tranquility and abundance, it's a whole lot different when everyone, and I mean everyone, is exposed to the consequences of an overwhelming menace. And that's where we are right now. It's exactly where we are. And I think about this also, Mark, we could stand in almost any country in the world today, you and I, and say COVID-19, and no matter what the local language is, they would understand what we're saying. It has been a pervasive, malady that has touched everyone. And I just think that our continual focus on building leadership that has at its core, the messaging and the actions which promote and encourage resilience in others is, is good work, is important work, and is worthy work. Thanks for joining us for this discussion of resilience when facing resistance make sure to visit our website at newscape.us. Also, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. Join us next time when we discuss navigating board governance in a time of crisis.